Hey everyone, welcome to our podcast. I'm Sally. I'm Linda. I'm Ing. And we're moving along. Welcome to our episode from quarantine. So we're back from our hiatus and we're recording remotely in our rooms. So just a bit beforehand, I went to Ming's mailbox to pick up his mic, so we're all set up. So today is April 1st, which is also um, the first day of Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. So our campus celebrates APIM um, on April. So even though we're not on campus right now, let's just take a moment to still recognize this month. And we have a really cool theme this year. It's called Disorienting Diaspora. Um, which also connects to this week's episode talking about our Asian American origins. So in our last episode, we talked about adoption and Ming's origin story. So this week, Sally and I will get a chance to tell our stories um, and share a little bit about how it was growing up Asian American. So let's start on our weekly recap and uh, let everyone know what we were up to. So for me, uh, I've been enjoying, I guess, being at home, even though I know like the reason why we're at home is not like nice. I actually really like being at home. Um, I get to play my Switch a lot <laughs> more. Um, <laughs> if y'all, if y'all follow us on Instagram or whatever, you know that we've been. I've been playing Animal Crossing. Um, yeah, the night that I came out, I was up until five a.m. playing it. But yeah, I'm almost. I'm like basically five a.m. <laughs> I thought it came out at twelve midnight. So, wait. I thought everything is in like real time. Yeah, but you can. I time skip. Let us know if you're the kind of Animal Crossing player that oh time skips, or you just wait for the time <laughs> to go by naturally. Because I'm impatient. Um, so yeah, I have like the story is already over for me. I'm just designing my island right now and trying to catch all the fish and complete my museum. And yeah, I can't wait to play. I've been like trying like debating on whether or not to get the switch light so i think right after this episode recording lynn and i are gonna put it in our cart and purchase, <laughs> purchase at the same time because we need to keep ourselves mm-hmm. accountable i told her i would buy it if she would buy it so i think <laughs> we're yeah right it. now today so today's april 1st like the day we're recording it and the bunny event just came out so there's like a bunch of easter eggs around you can dig them up or fish them up and there's like a buddy day thing on april 12th so you should get it in time for that that's so cute <laughs> i want to get it to yeah, see the cherry blossoms because so that's what everyone on twitter mm-hmm. is talking about do you notice a difference now that we're under a stay-at-home order like being at home for you guys has anything really changed that much not really i've been staying at home for the past like two weeks i haven't really gone out much mm-hmm. we've been going out for like walking mm-hmm. around the neighborhood do and stuff still- I just so came back been, from a walk. That's been nice. Have you been walking around after the? It's scary because there's no one. Yeah, a little bit because walking mm-hmm. around outside or like mm-hmm. jogging is fine, but it's scary because there's no one in the road, like at all. So it's just like. Yeah. I don't know. It just feels weird. I always weird. see the same. Like mm-hmm. there's like these very, two kids um, in my neighborhood that are always outside playing, and I always see them on my walk. It's like it's a good weird. time for gardening, mm-hmm. yeah. though. Yeah, yeah. yeah, my mom was trying to make me plow the backyard. <laughs> plow <laughs> what does she want to grow like random stuff like strawberries mm. cucumbers winter melons Ooh, share winter your holiday mm-hmm. <laughs> so you but know just... that like the wild 
um, onions or whatever that grow uh-huh. in the grass. So we harvested a lot from from like the streets, and we made some dumplings oh. with it. And they were pretty Where good. Where do you see these wild onions? Scavenging. I, I think you know what I'm talking about. Oh, it's like, like green onions? Like chives. But oh, they're like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, green onions that just like grow. Yeah, like, they grow the really ground. easily. I have, we have a bunch in our front yard, too. Mm-hmm. When I was in elementary school, I used to, like, like during <laughs> recess time, I used to go and, like, gather them and, like, chop them up, and my hands be really, like, goopy and stuff like that, but it was so much fun. I was pretending I would cook. <laughs> oh, yeah, me and Leo would do that. Oh, yeah, my dad, every time we make dumplings, um, he learned from a book that you're supposed to, like, massage the green onions and let the juices come out, so I have to, like, squeeze it with my hands and, like... um. <laughs> like mash it up and get all the juices out every time and it's so nasty it's like snot <laughs> yeah it really tastes good mm-hmm. what else have you guys been up to any new hobbies or anything my sister and i started a tiktok account oh, <laughs> oh my gosh it's actually so fun oh we did say on our twitter oh wait there's a tweet of so 10 retweets for a special tiktok from sally we're Look almost there that. i think we're almost to 10 yeah okay. yeah I'll record yeah, a new so TikTok just for you guys. But anyways, if you want to see our other TikToks, only you, can you not with your sister.and.abs. Only me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Personal promo. No, I should okay, yeah, I'll do the TikTok and you guys have to do duets with it. <laughs> no. What? I don't even have a TikTok. Like, yeah. another TikTok. So there's this option where this you language. can do a duet with someone. So they have or they already have a video up and then you can put yourself dancing right next to them on the screen and like make it into another TikTok. If we get 20, okay, retweets. 20 retweets for one with a, for a duet with Ming, that and then 30, 30 retweets with a duet with Linda. Yes. <laughs> anyway, besides TikTok, I've gotten really into like uh, growing houseplants, I guess, which I always had in my dorm. But now like in the jar? Yeah, I have some propagating in a jar of water, but then I got some other ones too, and so I'm trying to keep them alive after moving back home because my um room at home doesn't have as much light as my dorm room so i've been like mm-hmm. trying to tend to them keep them alive mm-hmm. i yeah. propagated my string of pearls but i'll give you some when it grows Ooh. did you propagate uh, it in water no, I just stuck it in, you just stick it in soil it's really sticky the stem mm-hmm. string of pearls i saw this one person on instagram that had a string of pearls that was like so yeah. long like they can grow pretty Mine's- long right okay mine's like lopsided it grows really long um like there's like two strands that are longer and then the rest is like growing near the top because it's a pretty like new propagation even for my plant so it's gonna take some time i'll take one of your babies do you use any nutrients no don't have any Mm. all natural (laughs) okay so since you all heard about how we were doing over our hiatus and in quarantine we're gonna go all the way back to when we talked last week or last episode about um the first part of origin stories and so it was my story as being an adoptee but um this episode we're gonna talk about sally and linda and then go further into broadly what it was like growing up asian american so sally if you want to start with your experience mm-hmm. well first off i want to talk about like a book that i read recently um if you remember from our love boat college park episode <laughs> uh we were talking about this book that um was sponsoring one of the sponsors for our conference 
and its name is Love Boat Taipei. And it talks mm-hmm. about this girl who's like an Asian American girl who ra- was raised in Ohio. Um, and she goes back to Taiwan and like, uh, I guess has a cultural experience of like, of like the night markets and like she meets a bunch of Taiwanese um, American kids there and kind of it's kind of like a her cultural awakening I guess but the book deals a lot about her relationship with her mom it's and it has a very typical I guess Asian American mom or mom and child trope like, the tiger <laughs> tiger mom yeah the tiger that. mom yeah so I wanted to kind of ha- make a response to that book because <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess a lot of people read this book and maybe people who aren't Asian American think that this is what every Asian American household is kind of like. But mm. for me, I think that this book is very cliche. Um, like a lot of books talk about this. A lot of Asian American novels especially have the same like theme of the tiger mom and then the kid feels like they can't talk to their parents about stuff and they'll feel forced to like um choose a career based on what their parents want but i feel like mm-hmm. in reality this case is like really extreme and most people have a good relationship or like this isn't the only relationship that mm-hmm. asian american kids have there with, the, with their parents mm-hmm. so i think going me, personally oh. Oh, yeah, go first. (laughs) I was just going to insert a little, like, going off of that, I recently finished reading Crazy Rich Asians, and it was really different in that way because it Mm -hmm. was, like, the relationship between the mom and the main character was actually really um, healthy. Well, not healthy, but, like, it was a good relationship, and they could talk to each other, and they talked about relationships Mm -hmm. and sex and stuff like that. So it definitely was different from Love Boat Taipei and all the other books I've read. So it's interesting. And both of the parents were immigrant parents. Or from both stories. So it's not like that's the stereotype. I don't know. I feel like that's a common stereotype that the immigrant parent yeah. is more Tiger Mom. But uh, Sally, are your parents... Your parents are uh, first generation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're also immigrants. My mom actually immigrated to Canada, but she moved oh, here wow. to bring my dad. <laughs> yeah. But I think there's some parts that I can relate to about like some parts of the mom, but not as extremely. Like, I don't being asked to learn piano and like going to Chinese school and stuff like that um yeah that kind of stuff you can like I feel like a lot of Asian Americans can relate to but in terms of how the kid reacts to their parents asking them to do all these things can be very different from like person to person um I I guess even in the book she meets a bunch of Taiwanese American people that are American Taiwanese American kids that are like some of them enjoy actually like learning all their extracurriculars and like going to Chinese school. So, I don't know. In the book, it may seem remember... like. Yeah. Sorry. Do you guys remember that Callan Sun person? <laughs> yeah. I think he kind of em- embodied what that stereotype was like. Because if you remember his speech or whatever, he's like, my parents wanted me to be a STEM like career or something. But then he did all this traveling stuff but his whole narrative was just like i'm rebelling against my parents and that's how i became successful and that's how i became like fulfilled but like sally was saying in reality there's kids who want to learn about their culture who want to do stem and that's not a bad thing and um to remind our audience calvin sun was the main speaker um for the itasa conference like two years ago 
Uh, and yeah, he had that whole narrative. And I think we talked or it touched on it. Ago? Two years? Yeah. Three years? It was Rutgers. Three years? Wow. Three years. Um, I think we touched on it a little bit in our Love Boat College Park episode where we thought that a lot of the workshops were about that same, like, stereotype, the same, like, angst, I guess, um, and mm-hmm. how we're always trying to be entrepreneur or, like, put down people who want to go into STEM because of their parents or even not because of their parents, but, yeah, I think that ties back in really clearly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess I'll talk about my personal experience first. Um... Growing up, so when I was little, I guess going up to high school, like I didn't really have that many Asian friends outside of um, church. So I go to a Chinese church and that's like my all of my parents' friends, kids naturally became my friends because we all grew up together. But I guess as we grew up, I didn't really like when you grow up you finally like start thinking for yourself like whether or not you're you like these people that you've grown up with so like I kind of drifted apart with a lot of them um just like because I had other things going on and like um so I guess basically um what I'm trying to say is (laughs) I didn't really have that many close Asian friends growing up um and in school um all my friends were like scattered Mm -hmm. so I felt kind of like I didn't have a group like a strong group of friends and it was kind of hard um even growing up in Asian American community to like um take pride in my culture or like um have other people to share my culture with especially being um Cantonese like a lot of people that I know are Mandarin a lot of Chinese people I know speak Mandarin and it's like a different culture from like Hong Kong Cantonese whatever so I felt kind of alone in that aspect but coming to college um and like even though I didn't really meet that many Cantonese people I guess going to TASA really helped me find more Asian people that I could talk to about this kind of stuff mm-hmm. yeah what about you Linda um so kind of similar like, I didn't really have a lot of Asian friends going to middle school and elementary school and, like, early high school. Um, but going to college was definitely, like, a huge shift because for University of Maryland, we have a big Asian American community. I think we're, like, 15% of the population. And coming from PG County, where there's, like, I don't know, like, 2% Asian American <laughs> mm-hmm. or something, mm-hmm. it was, like, a huge change because there was a specific Asian American culture going on and then we have all these kids from like Moko and Hoko who seem so different even though we were also Asian American um, mm-hmm. and then getting into TASA and having these shared moments was also really impactful like going to karaoke um, even going to Taiwan and hanging out with people from TASA like that was mm-hmm. so like weird but also mm-hmm. exciting I feel like that was the peak <laughs> The peak of what? <laughs> I don't know. The peak of my cultural awakening. <laughs> <laughs> no, it definitely felt like uh, like this is the prime example of being part of an Asian American community where you can yeah. even like find people like in the across homeland. the globe, back in the yeah the yeah, country. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, mm-hmm. I had a conversation with a few people from like other counties, specifically Moco, which is if you don't know, it's more of like a enclave for. Um, Asian, the Asian American community, there's a lot of Chinese Americans and Korean Americans there. Um, Mm -hmm. 
I've always wondered what have been what it would have been like if we like grew up in that area instead of our PG County area because uh, it's only a, like really twenty minutes away. Like it's not even that far, but it does seem like very different, especially mm-hmm. when you talk to like other TASA people who went to like camps, like summer camps specifically for Asian or Taiwanese Americans. It was like such a different experience. So I can't like yeah. imagine. And also like I don't know if I want to raise my kids in that. Or, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting thing to think about how our neighborhoods are so different. Yeah, I yeah, was going I to... I'm... Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I feel like I'm satisfied. I'm happy that I didn't grow up in that kind of community because then mm-hmm. I think I might take being, I guess, being Asian for granted and, like, not really... Like, I guess all my friends would probably be Asian, even though now they already are. <laughs> but it would just be more of a normal thing rather than something that I've tried to, like, learn more about myself. Hmm. What about, what are you saying, Linda? Oh, um, I guess we could see that in the history of, like, the Asian American orgs at UMD. Like, I think from TASA, from what my big told me and some other people, there was, like, a Taiwanese American camp that people went to, um, and a lot of those people would be funneled into joining TASA when they got to college, and so mm-hmm. it became kind of, like, a clicky thing, where people from TASA were mostly from this camp, and, like, some random people were joining in. And from, like, my experience in TASA, there was some tension between either making it more of a cultural organization with, like, strong, like, Taiwanese identity issues or more of a social organization with fun activities to make it kind of a welcoming and more inclusive space for everyone, regardless of whether you're Taiwanese or Asian American. And I feel like coming from... I guess PG. I don't think I've met other people in the Asian org scene that are also from PG. No, just us, it seems like, yeah. I think. Um, yeah, that's still really weird. Cause I think all the Asian Americans that I know that went to our high school or are from PG County and then went to our university did, didn't join a cult or like they kind of dipped mm-hmm. their toes in a cultural org, but mm-hmm. I can't think of any that like really immersed themselves. I mean, Melanie did. Okay, yeah. And, um, Shout out to SCA. Melanie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, like, besides that, I really, like, even our close friend William has, like, absolutely no interest in joining it. And so I think it's interesting, like, what you were saying, Sally, where, um, not that I'd ever wish, like, on a kid to grow up feeling different or, like, mm-hmm. even bullied or anything, but I think it it is a such a, like, a experience of, like, learning about yourself and, like, you're being forced to kind of... Um, come closer to your culture when you grow up in areas that is like not all around you right so instead of it yeah. just being so easily accessible and like all your friends and like you all know the same things go to the same camps it's like we were really forced to kind of find ourselves and it's interesting how we did end up mm-hmm. being closest with other like asian american friends like when i think about that um <laughs> but I don't know if that happens to everyone or if that was just by chance for us that we ended up being like friends like that. Mm-hmm. So growing up in like middle school, elementary school, like high school, do you guys experience any, mm-hmm. I guess, alienation from being Asian American? Um, in general, I think I was pretty like I, I didn't really experience that much alienation, but I do remember this one specific um, time that happened to me in elementary school so 
I guess, in, okay, so I'll give you a little background. So my elementary school was a private, um, it's a Christian school. And I think, I think my whole time there, I was the only Asian. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm pretty sure. Oh, Sarah Khan was also there for like a few years. But <laughs> yeah, most of the time, I was the only Asian. So I felt, I guess in that aspect, I felt like very left out in the other people's groups. And I think growing up, a lot of my friends were the guys, and I would just, like, I don't know, chase them around or something. <laughs> I don't know. I, it was really, it was a really strange time. Um, yeah, okay. So, anyways, um, in third grade, one of my best friends, um, she left to go to Africa because her parents, or to go to, yeah, they went to Kenya. Her parents were, like, missionaries there. So, I was really sad. And then fourth grade, I tried to make, like, a new best friend so I was doing well and then halfway through the year she okay I had like this other friend that I knew in class and I kind of like introduced them to each other they were two like they're both white girls and I introduced them to each other and they started becoming best friends and I felt like they would leave me out of stuff and I felt so betrayed I was like wow it's just because I'm Asian like I can't (laughs) it's just like I, I don't know so ever since then, mm. I guess I felt kind of, ever since that um, incident, I kind of felt more self-conscious about being different from mm. the other people. Did anything happen mm. to make you feel like it was because of race or it was just like a feeling? Um, I guess just like in general, when we would all talk, to, like we'd be chatting, I never understood references that the Americans would talk about. <laughs> like. <laughs> In terms of um, media, like movies, TV, like celebrities, I never knew what was happening. And it didn't, I don't know why, but growing up, I never really listened to like American music. I guess because mm-hmm. I didn't have an iPod shuffle and like I didn't, I wasn't in the loop with all, a lot of stuff. And all I had at home was like this TVB channel where we watched Chinese dramas, soap operas or whatever. Yeah. So that's all I knew. Stuff, like that's so. my only connection to media growing up. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I didn't have cable. Yeah. So I felt really left out when they talked about like Nick Jr.'s like relative. Yeah. Do these? Um, I think this kind of may- might answer my question. But uh, when did you guys like actually realize you were different or you were Asian or like when did that identity become? Um, I don't know. <laughs> more like you were able to see that there was a difference in race, I guess, or um, yeah. Sorry, that's the question I was trying to get at. Like, is it the, was it the same type of thing where you realized that you were consuming different media or like other examples? I guess. Um. So I think Linden. going to school was, what like, I guess catalyzed because you're surrounded by so many different kids. Um. But I remember in elementary school, um, we were riding the bus, to to school, and there were a couple neighborhood kids at our bus stop, and we all be talking, and there was this one kid, who was super white, like super country. <sighs> He was like, his family was like into hunting and he would wear camo and he's like into baseball and stuff. I think you guys know who I'm talking about. Um, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> but he would just like display his culture. And I'm like, what? Like, what is this? Because I've never, I guess, interacted with such a like potent form of white culture <laughs> before. Potent. And I don't know how it is to explain it, but that's when I realized like, there's so many different, I guess, types of personalities and races, and we're, like, never gonna be the same. Hmm. 
but that was like very early on in elementary school i remember even early on in like even pre-k or maybe yeah i think pre-k or like daycare how do you have Um, memories from daycare (laughs) i just i remember it's really early on in like my interaction with the world Mm -hmm. um I would, it would be, so I would speak Cantonese at home, and then going to school, I could only speak English, but then sometimes I would accidentally, like, mess up and say, like, a word in Chinese, because that's how I I was thinking at the time, like, I was probably thinking in Chinese at the time or something, Mm -hmm. and then I, like, accidentally let out a word in Chinese, and I would feel so embarrassed, and, like, people would think I'm strange if I spoke a different language, Mm -hmm. and even uh, when my parents came to pick me up, and, like, in front of other kids, I would... I hate it when they spoke Chinese. Like, I mm. always wanted them to speak English to me. So, like, people wouldn't know that I'm different, even though it's pretty obvious that I'm different from them, but I don't know. Were you in That's Esau, just how I or? thought. No. It um, was, like, this is, like, pre, like pre, pre-K pre or pre-pre-K, so. <laughs> like, I could, I could speak English fine, but it was just, like, sometimes I would just let out a word in Chinese, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> So, Luna, I know that your family primarily speaks uh, Mandarin at home. Is mm-hmm. that the same for you, Sally, or speak Cantonese at home for your family? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting because uh, I didn't have the whole, like, household difference thing because obviously my my family was white, but I did have um, <laughs> uh, one time that's, like, burned into my memory when I was at church and there was, like, a... Um, a talent show I guess and so my my best friend at the time and she was white uh, she and I were like practicing to perform and we were we wanted to sing Taylor Swift because at the time like Taylor Swift was like really big and she was still in that like initial <laughs> what song co- country oh it was that country song um teardrops on my guitar <laughs> Ooh, I like so I wanted to sing that in front of church so we were practicing and then her mom came in and was like wow like Ming I think you're she meant this in like a very like friendly nice like she's a really nice person but she meant it in a really like Mm -hmm. positive way but she was like that's the first time I think I've heard an Asian sing country or like yeah something like that and Mm -hmm. I think that was the first time someone ever had called me like Asian or like made made a distinct like difference between um Mm -hmm. races or anything so that's like burned into my memory now and that's why I find it so funny that you guys are really into country now and I like was like I was a full circle bullied for it but I I definitely was ashamed to like it so it's like yeah Mm -hmm. full circle but um do you think it like being from an immigrant household is different than like second or third generation because we've talked about that a little bit in our um Asian American politics class about like the difference um in like perspective for politics when it comes to that but like do you personally think that there's a difference or that you notice a difference between you and your friends or anything? Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. For me, I guess I have, I think, one friend at church. And I don't really, does anyone in Tassa second gen or third gen? Uh, I don't know. I guess people don't really talk about that. Like, like yeah. they don't, they don't, I don't know about our second gen. Second or like one point five or something. Yeah. Oh wait, can we? Def- I don't know. Wait, hold on. What is second and third? Yeah, yeah let's define, define generations. generations. Yeah, I know it's different for um, like different um, racial or nationality groups because mm-hmm. uh, I learned this in my Asian American like intro to Asian American studies class. It's different because mm-hmm. it was based on the um, the way Japanese immigrants were categorized. So I think for other like 
like for Latinx immigrants and um, other immigrants, it's like when you're a first generation, that means that you were, um, like, correct me if I'm wrong, because I get it backwards sometimes, like I switch them, but I think it's because if you're first generation Asian American, that means that you, um, you were born in America? Or is it the Wait, other way around? I thought first generation was you you immigrated to America. Okay, okay, you yeah, were an yeah. adult. Yeah. So I was thinking of the opposite. Mm-hmm. And one point five is when you immigrated as a child. Mm-hmm. And second but gen is when you were born. Born here, and that's different from other groups. I know that for sure because like other um, immigrant groups will use that term like in the opposite way, but for Asian Americans, it's like different. But yes. So for yep. me and Linda, mm-hmm. we're second gen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I've noticed a difference between, I mean, okay, for me personally, most of my friends are second or third gen. Mm-hmm. Or Most of them are second gen. But in terms of third gen, I do have a few. And I do notice a difference. It's more, um, you're f- more mm-hmm. further removed from the culture, I guess. I guess from my, only f- just from my experience, but... I think most third gen kids don't speak the language or have a very limited um, mm. knowledge of the language, and like they probably don't. Most of them don't practice like a lot of the cultural things, um, but that's just coming from the friends that I know. And I think overall, like, I mean, overall they can still they still have like the same amount of interest in as second gen and like um i guess learn meeting other asian americans as friends and stuff like that but i think culturally wise like in their home mm. it's just a different dynamic did you like mm. do people what do you think because you know how we were saying we didn't really know in tasso who was uh <laughs> de- what generation like so yeah. it's not a thing that's really announced but i guess you're saying it's like some things you can like pick up on and so mm-hmm. like linda do you think that's the same way Mm-hmm. with your yeah. friends i mean for me i kind of assume that most of my friends have immigrant parents which is probably probably true for the most part hmm. Wait, what was your question i don't mm-hmm. know if you've like noticed differences or if you can tell or if you had friends growing up that were second generation or more or third generation or more because mm-hmm. i think, I think the... we and I'll continue, sorry. I think the difference is more, like, potent when you're younger. Because when you grow up, you kind of are assimilated. When you go to school, you go to work, you interact with other people more. But when you're little, you interact with your family the most. So I think that's when, if you have immigrant parents, the differences come out more. Like, I remember having a hard time talking to, like, kids at school. Because I wouldn't, I didn't have, like, the language capacity to... Like, I couldn't practice with my parents or anything, so I was, like, like, took me a few seconds to, like, respond to everything, and, like, I couldn't do, like, the, the banter and stuff like that, so, but then that, that was, like, mitigated later on in life. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. It's interesting, because, Sally, you said that you didn't have, or you could speak, like, English pretty fluently, like, from a young age, but you said your parents spoke to you in Cantonese at home. Did they, like, ever speak in English? Yeah, we speak in <laughs> English at home. 
it's a mix of Chinese and English. Uh, my sister speaks more mm. English than me at home, I guess. Like, I think most, for most second-gen kids, it's the same thing where the parents speak in Chinese to you and then you reply in English. And that's probably why a lot of kids don't end up, mm. like, well, like, hearing and that understanding fluently. comes pretty easily. But, um, yeah, ever since I realized that... Huh? What did you say? Um, like, speaking and, like, reading and writing are hard, but I guess in terms of, like, understanding and hearing, it comes more easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably why that kids, like, can't understand what people are saying, but it's harder to speak it back out, because at home, that's what they're used to doing. But, yeah, ever since I realized that, I try to actively speak more Chinese at home and not use English, but... Like, it's hard. I just naturally mm-hmm. default to Chinglish. I guess we've been talking about yeah. TASA a lot, but we're all graduating this oh. May, and we're never going back to campus. So how do you mm-hmm. think... I've been thinking about this a lot. Like, how do you think our, like, Asian-American community will change in the future where we're going to work, where we're going to school, and we don't have this, like, student group to kind of, like, I hold th- it together? Yeah, I think... Um like the same way and like how to make friends after college will have to be way more uh intentional i guess about finding those communities or like becoming involved mm-hmm. um because it, it's so easy in college when like people are literally like tabling and handing out flyers about their cultural orgs but i don't really hear yeah. about those kinds of things um from like work so mm-hmm. i guess we're gonna have to try really hard or keep this friend group alive and then like keep in touch with mm-hmm. like of friends but yeah, it's definitely a challenge, and I think um, yeah. when we think even, like, further ahead, like, way ahead to, so, like, when we have kids and all that, and, like, mm-hmm. uh, how we yeah. uh, instill oh, yeah. that culture or, like, introduce them to different parts of our culture from the very beginning. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think definitely, yeah. like, bringing them to Chinese I think we've school. all talked about it, like, we want to put our <laughs> kids into Chinese school, but it's, like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, that's more of, like, an academic and less, like... Mm-hmm. I don't know, just having people around you that were, uh, like, similar. Mm-hmm. For me, I actually made some pretty good friends from Chinese school, although all my <laughs> friends dropped out of Chinese school before we graduated. <laughs> but while they were in there, I had some pretty mm-hmm. good friends because we, like, struggled together and we could relate, I guess. But it was fun. Even though, like, it was a lot of work to learn Chinese, I think the benefit mm-hmm outweighs the costs for me mm-hmm. <laughs> i kind of miss it my chinese keeps deteriorating <laughs> oh, no. day by day yeah i mean that's why we need to do fun stuff like go to taiwan go to china like watch shows like listen to music mm-hmm. stuff like that instead of just yeah trying to memorize stuff yeah i but yeah also, i think mm-hmm. <laughs> i was just gonna say i think for me like not going to chinese school or having any form of like chinese language instruction I think um, I'm approaching it from, like, those little tiny ways of, like, kind of listening more to um, Mandarin or Chinese uh, music or, like, watching. I started watching a new drama, so after... Okay, so I... Wait, which one did you start? I don't know if you can tell from my Netflix account because we share it, but I've started, like, five different shows, and I couldn't sit through any of them. (laughs) They were all songs. I'm so used to, like, uh, K-dramas, but finally... I know. I, I told it's you, really it's not, not as good as K dramas. Like, like not the same. But last night, I mm-hmm. 
finally got through one whole episode of Meteor Garden, and it's like a remake, a mm-hmm. Mandarin remake of um, Boys Over Flowers, which I know is like a oh, classic. Yeah. <laughs> oh god, a classic drama. Oh, so gosh. like I started this one, and it's in Mandarin. <laughs> I hate, I hate Boys it's Over like, Flowers. It's so, hate it it's so passion. cheesy, but it's like really good. So I'm trying to like. I guess that's a more, like, accessible ways of me, like, dipping my toes in. Um, yeah, without having the school. Mm-hmm. If you watch it, watch stuff on Vicky. They have a new, like, language thing where on the captions, if you hover over it, they tell you the word in translation and stuff oh. like that. And it helps you with the grammar and sentence structure. Oh. I can start learning. Yeah. That's so cool. But I think they realize they can harness yeah. the potential of dramas to... I guess teach people uh, new languages. <laughs> no, it's true because you know even after watching K dramas, mm-hmm. you pick up on the little like I like the little sayings. I definitely <laughs> yeah. learned all my Korean from K dramas. So maybe it'll like immerse or what is that called? Um, passively like osmosis, osmosis, sink <laughs> into my brain. I'll listen to Chinese podcasts <laughs> as I sleep. But what were we talking about before this? Um, I guess keeping this sense of Asian American community alive after mm-hmm. graduation. How do you plan to do it, Linda? Mm-hmm. Um, so while I love student organizing and having these Asian American groups in college that do fun stuff like night, night markets and karaoke and things like that, um, I feel like I'm ready to engage in, I guess, more intersectional activism after college because there's a lot of limitations to student groups um but right now i'm working on a disorientation guide um so this is kind of like a play on orientations uh, the orientations that universities have so a disorientation guide is is made by colleges all over the country but so artists writers activists and like organizers kind of put together this publication to tell students information that they wouldn't normally get from orientations. And it's a way to kind of encourage students to get involved in um, and thinking about identity and, and social issues and things like that. So I'm working on connecting a lot of different groups together to make it a more like intersectional and inclusive publication. Um, like it's definitely a struggle, but I feel like having the time to be in Asian American organizing is a good foundation because I guess the events is really precious too. Like we're running around, we're like serving food, we're making banners. It's really fun and all that labor is still like really precious, but I'm just trying to think of a way to connect those two. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So what kind of format is the disorientation guide in? Or like how are people going to access it? So it's like a booklet kind of. It's like a zine. So last year it was Mm -hmm. printed in like a book format. Mm. um, But this year I'm thinking about making it more digital. Yeah, I think that's a... Hmm? When do you distribute it? (laughs) Answer answer Sally's question first. There you go. Where do you distribute it? So the last guy was in... 2015 so I actually talked to the person who did it and I talked to my buddy who did the one at Penn um, and the one here they distributed at First Look Fair um, 
and they also had stuff at the co-op. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently the they had, mm-hmm. yeah, rip the co-op. They had it at Red Emma's too, which is like this <laughs> radical bookstore in Baltimore. Um, so it was like a variety of locations, and mm-hmm. I think for the pen one, my friend told me that they found a way to like sneak it into the actual university orientation <laughs> materials. So there's like different ways. I'm thinking about making like QR codes, and like cards or stickers or something like that. As a past official orientation staff member, I feel like this is definitely needed um, <laughs> and can easily be like given out to students at orientation. But it kind of brings up a question that I've always wanted to ask you about your background, I guess, because um, you're like the most, I don't want to say radical, like radicals sometimes is like in a negative light, but you are the most like uh, radical, like um, intersectional, further thinking Asian American, I know, I guess, Linda. Um, so I, I, I like, I kind of want to know how you got that perspective or like how you've come this far because, like, even in high school, I remember you always like had different perspectives or were willing to challenge some like common thoughts. So, like, when did, when did it start and like, did your parents have an influence on it at all? Or I don't, I don't know, like, I've always wondered how we can all come into, like, university, but, like, on so many different levels of understanding of, like, mm-hmm. identity. Mm-hmm. I think it started from, like, my church. I don't know, like, wait, why Your do church? you think radical is a bad thing? Or, like... Well, so, I mean, from what I know of it now, like, I know it's a... Yeah. Like, it's just a radical, bad connotation. Like, like, people who like to stay with the status quo say radical is a bad thing because it... It's like stirring up, stirring the pot. It's like, you know, inciting oh, okay, okay. change, I guess. <laughs> but it is a good thing in this context. Mm-hmm. I guess it started when I was in church and when I rebelled from the church. <laughs> because I also <laughs> went to a Chinese American church like Sally. And after hearing all the stuff, like, like, I just couldn't take it anymore because they're like, they're like homophobic. They were um, very conservative and they had a lot of strong views. Um, and they were like pretty Republican. So getting in the space, I was like, this just feels like wrong. And I was like questioning. I think that if I grew up in a more like welcoming church, I would have, I might still like be kind of religious, but I was like, no, like, like get me out of here, <laughs> uh, blah, blah. So I was like, I was like, I'm not going to church anymore. And then that's when I started looking up stuff because I was like if this feels so wrong then what is like the right answer um and that was mm. back in high school and when I got to college I think it was definitely Micah I told everyone that Kai Kai was like my origin story <laughs> <laughs> but I guess like talking with her and everyone so Kai Kai was, was, was Kai my Kai. supervisor at Micah know. when I first started and I started there as a freshman which kind of put me at a head start I feel like because I remember in freshman year, everyone like loved Lo, um, our president, and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then the people I was talking to, and Micah and their friends I made there, mm-hmm. they gave me like the tea about Lo immediately. So I guess I never, I never had a phase where I was, I loved him. And then I was like disillusioned by the president and the administration and things like that. And I don't know, like going into the, Asian American org scene and like hearing all these like problematic things and like people saying the n-word and stuff like that I don't know it just like 
doesn't feel right. And I just like kind of notice these problems a lot and like I just like can't ignore it. Um, I think that kind uh, of a question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I only brought it up because of our recent um, readings in our Asian American politics oh, class. The one from today. Yeah, we always talk about how um, in the greater like American understanding that Asian Americans, because of the model minority myth, um, are always seen as like politically passive or like not willing to talk identity politics as much as other um, like minorities. So it's like. Mm -hmm. It's common, I think, especially even at our high school or college, where we said, like, we wake up, what, 15% or so of the population, like, of those people, I only know of, like, the select few that are willing to speak out or speak up, I guess, um, politically. So it's like, I don't know, I just find it very interesting because I feel like being friends with you, I've been exposed to a lot more things that I wouldn't have, even just being in TASA or still being in the Asian community, Asian American community on campus we still don't get that same level of like understanding unless you intentionally like go out of your way to go to MICA or uh, take these classes and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. I don't know, it's interesting. Yeah. I think that's also a fault that we should work on as organizers to, to find ways to relate to people who might not be receptive to like social justice ideas. I know like I was called PC or something mm -hmm. at a TASA event, like politically correct. PC? Mm -hmm. In a negative um, way. You yeah, that. it's kind of like a derogatory term, like calling someone a social justice warrior. A snowflake. Um, yeah. Oh. Yeah, snowflake. But snowflake. actually, I was called that too, also at a tacit event. <laughs> um, Wait, to your face? But, yeah. Mm. I, don't, I think mm. I told you guys, but I don't remember. But anyways, I feel like as organizers and people trying to... Um, raise awareness on issues we should also find ways to meet people where they are no matter mm -hmm. like if they've never been exposed to anything before mm -hmm. um there's a thing in like student development theory that RAs learn it's like the balancing <sighs> challenge challenge and support so you want to support them <laughs> in, their, in your growth but you also want to challenge them but not not challenge them too much because then you'll push them away mm -hmm. um yeah yeah I think we should work mm -hmm. on that I think yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I guess it's interesting how we're all have different understandings of our own identity. And I guess uh, we can wrap it up by like, I don't know, what is your or how are you now as a uh, second generation Asian American, as a Chinese American? Like, how is your identity now or how would you, I don't know, claim it? Because for me, it's like been a whole process and it's still happening where sometimes it's like easier at certain times than others to like be proud of being Chinese American and stuff like that or being a Chinese mm -hmm. adoptee or like different identity labels so like you guys personally right now where do you think you are and like I don't know how how, how can we grow from it I guess do you get what I'm saying like I don't know Sally <laughs> um I get I guess I get what you're saying I so for me personally I uh, even though only half of only my mom is from Hong Kong I really identify with that side um like the my Hong Kong roots I mm -hmm. guess because um I feel like the well both my parents are very um like they very against the communist party in China and I hear it a lot in my household like all these 
complaints about or like things that the Communist Party has done. So I've become more invested in this kind of political issue of um, I don't know if I'm like saying this right. So I might be like saying that something's wrong, but for to my understanding, like I think there's an issue between the, um, China's like um, control. Um, their want for control over Hong Kong and Hong Kong people really want to have their freedom and independence and they just want their like basic human rights of like speech and um just things that we take for granted in America so I'm like really tied to this I guess I've become more invested in this aspect of my identity um even in the past like recently in the past year or so um so that's something I think about a lot in terms of I guess Asian American identity. Um, um, yeah. What about you, Linda? To Sally, I'm kind of getting more invested in like East Asian politics and like global relations between um, U.S. and China, Taiwan, uh, Hong Kong, things like that. Um, I guess I'm not from Hong Kong, so I don't have that personal connection to it. But a lot of critiques I see recently is how. Hong Kong people have like pleaded to to Trump and to like I guess American government to help them and there's some ways that that can be seen as problematic Mm -hmm. um and with the whole recent coronavirus thing there's been a lot of like xenophobia going on just trying to pinpoint where it comes from and how people from Taiwan or other East Asians say oh, like, we're not Chinese, so don't be mad at us. That's also harmful because in America, it's, we're all, like, seen as Asian-American or we identify as Asian-American. So singling out uh, a country can also be reductive. And also all the, I guess, press about China being really authoritarian and things like that, but also seeing how much they did for the people by seizing factories and um, making medical care more accessible. And we see in America, there's all that shit about like insider trading, about ICE taking this opportunity to raid people. Um, I guess just balancing the media we see now. But I also understand as an American, there's a specific place that I have in the transnational relations or whatever so just trying to learn more about that because learning about like global hegemony uh neoliberalism all this shit has been really um it's really complicated but i do want to learn more and i feel like i am becoming more radical just seeing all these things crumbling like incarceration is crumbling like the economy the rent the medical system oh my gosh. like all all this stuff yeah i think um something that you spoke on a bit about like being asian american especially at this time is really it's a very unique position or identity i guess because there is such a difference in america where we're like a melting pot or like all this you know, stuff about um, different um, races and identities mixing, it's different to say you're Asian American versus Asian. And I think like the the politics of that keeps changing, um, especially when mm-hmm. you talk about like the uh, some Taiwanese Americans looking to Trump or capitalism as support and like they're protesting and all of that. Like it's so overwhelming and you're just like one little 
like senior students sitting here like yeah. trying to think about how how you want to move forward in the world and it's like sometimes mm-hmm. overwhelming but also I think having that community or even this small community of our podcast is like ways we can like talk through it I guess so <laughs> I mean do you have any thoughts for yourself moving forward with Asian uh, identity or anything yeah I think I'm I'm you trying to like you use my tools around me to become more aware of what's happening especially when it comes to like Asian and American politics like whether it be like like political Twitter or like uh, staying on top of news I think is interesting um, but having these conversations among us is a way to like like stay abreast of the news but also my own personal identity I think I'm dealing with my own like personal kind of like figuring out like I want to learn Chinese but like I also don't want to put too much pressure on myself to like come to my house to get the notebooks oh yeah to get the workbooks so I'm like taking Mm -hmm. baby steps I guess in that way but I really do it hope my personal identity growth continues beyond college I I mean it better because we're out of college at this point but like yeah yeah, I hope we can all find that community elsewhere so Mm -hmm. I'm glad we had this conversation now because I feel like it's kind of a snapshot Mm -hmm. of what we're feeling now in this in this crisis in our development as college students because we're definitely going to have this conversation for the rest of our lives mm-hmm. yeah identity never leaves you that always comes back mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all right thank you all for joining us for this surprisingly deep um conversation we had about identity politics and Sally and Linda's origin stories of growing up as second generation Asian Americans and then how we see our growth from here um, basically graduating from college and um, continuing on as we deal with our identity issues throughout the rest of our lives. Um, I hope that this was an interesting conversation uh, to listen to during this time of quarantine and all this chaoticness in the world. Um <laughs> But yeah, I hope you enjoyed it and that you're staying safe. By the time you're listening to this, our brand new website will also be live. So thank you to Stefan, our good friend, (laughs) and his computer science skills. Um, You can find all our episodes and show notes with links at movingalongpod.com. Wow. So if you like this episode... You can follow us on Instagram at movingulongpod and rate or review us on Apple Podcasts. Until next time. Bye. bye.